Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Did you time your entrance to say that? Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 301, Grounded, comes to you now via Alien Sploof. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode. Uh, Pete, the focus, of course, Star Trek Sundays, but the Star Trek greater universe rocked by shocking news. Shocking unless you listen to our periodic Star Trek discussions either on here or on Twitter. Yeah, Matt, no one could have predicted that uh, Matt Shackman uh, handed the reins of Star Trek Kelvin movie four would jump back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe when offered dangled still not official the uh, fantastic four movie uh, directing gig uh, but Matt has been so super enthusiastic about the prospects of this fourth Kelvin movie, uh, you know, and, and it's timeline. Right. So let's not forget that Star Trek Kelvin four was announced at Paramount investor day in February with writers. And I don't know if Matt Shackman as director was meant, was announced at that point, but it certainly was pretty soon after, but not a complete script. And the entire Star Trek Kelvin cast apparently heard the news and started to text each other. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Are you signed? Are you signed? It's <laughs> always so, a good, good uh, reaction. <laughs> yeah, like they don't—they have never had a cast signed for this movie. Pete, I don't know what the line is between aspirational product announcements and investor fraud, but Wall Street heard they're making a Star Trek movie that will start filming this year. That's what Wall Street was told in February. Now, due to circumstances like the director of a movie that doesn't have a complete script or a cast, the director has left to go do a job where they have a script and a cast. Um, now they're going to have to press reset on whether the movie will film, start filming this year and be out in theaters for the announced date of December uh, 2023. Like, this was always smoke and mirrors. And the fact that capable director matt shackman has now gone to a job that's going to happen um certainly was not surprising to me it's a sad state of affairs uh this movie's been in it's not even development hell matt there's a seventh circle to this development hell that it's been mired in we we all want to see it we like this cast i've maintained from the time that we've had not just a TV Spock, but now a TV Spock, uh, a TV Uhura, a TV Kirk, there was going to be no efficient and effective way to bring the Kelvin movie cast back and avoid any kind of brand confusion. I'm looking at the type of brand confusion that turns uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, uh, a fairly well done film in my estimation and regarded by a lot of people as a lot of fun, confusing 
because hey, why is Ray on uh, the Millennium Falcon with a younger Han Solo and Lando Calrissian? And I think separate from all the corporate intrigue and so forth, I, I think you do raise a good point that the Kelvin the, the Kelvin timeline films made sense when they did in terms of Star Trek being off the air and it's honoring what came before, but also you know a clean reboot and all of that. But presumably Pete Paramount Plus is you know a major factor of, of its success are all these Star Trek shows, which are all, I think, um, tiptoeing around the fact that they're in different timelines and people just kind of figure it out. Like it's not that difficult to be like, they're on a Star Trek over there in yellow uniforms and they're on a Star Trek over there in gray uniforms and wh which century it is gets all figured out. But I think it is fair to say, what would it do to the brand to all of a sudden be like, and now there's another Kirk that's not William Shatner or Paul Wesley. There's another old new Kirk, different guy. Yeah. I, I just think, Again, though we can rationalize and we're about to talk about an episode that looks at multiple eras um, from an outside commercial and promotion aspect, it really would have been a challenge. So we'll see. I mean, there's no preventing down the road this thing from happening, but there's not a snowball's chance in development hell that they're meeting the deadline that they set out. Maybe, Matt, cause for, as you've floated ominously, some kind of investor fraud. And again, I don't, I certainly do not have the business acumen to understand what that is, to, to understand the exact borders there all i know is you know if apple says we're coming out with the iphone 20 hologram edition it's going to be out for christmas 2023 and then six months later they go nope completely canceled i think that's misleading if ford says we have hover car technology it's coming out uh in one year's time and then this winter ford says actually uh no we've completely scrapped it i think that might be investor or at the very least it might be misleading to investors whether it's of a criminal amount i don't know but i think here's what i suspect pete the announcement was made in bad faith because mm -hmm. hollywood knows those dum-dums in wall street are going to be like star trek i know star trek it's the captain kirk who's already been in three star trek movies the, the young guy cool invest invest when i really genuinely think this movie was never being made in good faith. Uh, Pete, shades of the uh, Roger Corman Fantastic Four, which was similarly made, you know, the, the, the 90s oh, one. Oh, the irony. <laughs> um, but luckily, Pete, over in the MCU, things are looking a little bit better. And recently we've been able to uh, hopefully fix some timeline concerns there as well. Yes, we're doing She-Hulk Saturdays on that Marvel side over there, having podcast the first two episodes of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. That'll change in a couple weeks when uh, Andor, the uh, latest Star Wars live action show, hits beginning September 21st and will reorient our schedule Fridays, Saturdays, Star Trek Sundays, though, you're going to find us in this spot for the entirety of the run of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3. Well, on that very topic, let's start our ready rundown. Program complete. Enter when ready. 
the episode opens with a cool new Star Trek Universe logo featuring the Cerritos. Let's keep making that a thing. Into the episode, FNN News of the Galaxy speaks as destruction of Pakled planet is covered and recapped. Thanks for the recap, show. We're also recapped that the Cerritos is in space dock and the crew on hold. There's footage of evil Freeman doing the bombing. As the scene wraps, a bioluminescent thing, blah, 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 is coming, but we cut to a smash. Mariner is throwing a plant at yet another screen. She's so angry, and Admiral Dad tells her to take a walk. She's angry at the big red thing, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge, but everyone likes the bridge. Admiral Buenamigo is on the horn with bad news. Carol's judge will be Sith Bin Tong, a very strict judge. Dad reminds Mariner to just let the truth come out. Trust the system. Mariner leaves and rages. We get to the credits with minor changes, including apparently fixing a running lights issue that was something that was really bothering people on Twitter. I don't know. On a vineyard, Boimler is picking grapes and swallows a fly. Mariner is there looking for help. Boimler can't wait to leave the vineyard. They make raisins. Adding to his troubles... Genevieve wants him to taste the sweetness of her bushel. Mandolina would like to be taken in or er to the shed for a bit. And Leanne has grape juice and needs to be cleaned while naked. It's all a bother to Boimler. Mariner had hoped that there would be senior staff logs to clear the situation, but they have been corrupted. Boimler actually has copies that he nerdily, you know, copied. All they need to do is go to the ship. But where is it? And how would they get there? They need an engineer. Rutherford. Rutherford is in Cisco's Creole Kitchen with Tendi. They have lots of options after lunch, including maybe going to Bozeman, site of Zephyrin Cochran's first flight. That's fan service and foreshadowing. Mariner and Boimler arrive, and the plan is hatched to break into the ship, but they will need to beam in via encrypted transporter. They go to one, but now they need to get past security. Security, which is old, lovely Chief Denny. Are you Academy kids? He's happy to share with them. Tour time. He's a buffer buff, especially after his wife Jane passed. Sigh. Butterscotch. The lower deckers spill the truth, but he says he simply can't transport them. That verugament, you know, the bioluminescent creature cloud from the news. It's all bad news. They can't save the captain. They won't be going to Bozeman. They won't be riding that historical ride to space. Wait a minute. They get beamed to Bozeman, now a theme park. And we see the very kind return of James Cromwell as Cochrane or Hollow Cochrane. Enough sightseeing. Next stop, ride the Phoenix. It's very Star Tours in the best sense. The four have a ship to themselves, except for Gavin. Nervous, nervous Gavin. Hollow Cochrane lights up and tells them to rock and roll. The ship launches into space, and our lower deckers hack into the system. They warp to the correct dry dock and dock with the Cerritos. Gavin's even having fun. On the Cerritos, Boimler grabs his log. Mariner reviews one. It's perfect until it's very Boimler, very blooper real and not useful. For Mariner, all is lost again, but they're going to try with the log nonetheless. They go to a shuttle and Mariner steps out. The shuttle is now put on auto navigation, sending the other three away while, while Mariner goes to the bridge and boots up the ship. Our plan is to get the Klingons who sold the bomb, allegedly, and bring them back. Her pals want to help her and hack the shuttle to get it to return to the Ritos. One crash landing later, they are all back on the bridge. Starfleet notices the ship is leaving, and Rutherford stops the ship. Mariner is so scared for her mother, 
and just when they're caught by Starfleet security, the verugment flying by the ship means that they cannot be stopped. Nay, indeed, the verugment are flying onto the ship. It's a mass reproduction event. Tendi's got an answer for security. She claims they're observing this scientific moment. They're indeed going to help with the gamete transference in the shuttle bay. Security is impressed with these junior officers pursuing science. But who ordered this? Dramatic reveal from behind Captain Carol Freeman. That's who. It's revealed that the trial was a cover for a Starfleet investigation. Captain Morgan Bateson led an elite force. Commander Tuvok extracted the info from the data forger, and the real plan was revealed. The Packleds did all of this to try and Samaritan snare a better planet. Dad reminds Mariner that he did say to trust the system. Good news is Captain Mom is back, and she's angry. In the captain's ready room, Captain Freeman says covering for Mariner has not worked. Mariner needs a new person to rein her in. So, full and final oversight is now given to Commander Jack Ransom. He's her mama now. And for the lower deckers, the Cerritos is where they want to be. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threat. Let's start with... Uh, the, the return of Admiral Jellico? Yeah, the Chiron down the bottom of the Federation News Network. Uh, I actually had to disable the subtitles because it was running on top of it. But uh, one of the many gems there, uh, Admiral Jellico, everybody's favorite, you know, stick in the mud, banning the Zebulon sisters from all active duty starships. Uh, thank goodness I have my choo-choo t-shirt, uh, and uh, he ain't taking it away. That is just one of the many perfect little nuggets that are in this episode that, you know, all of these nuggets that are so quintessentially Star Trek Lower Decks because you feel fundamentally that this is something Jellico would do. Of course, it's a callback to the Zebulon sisters who we know by off-screen you know glory and so forth from from a prior lower decks episode and it's just it just feels so authentically of these stories that we've seen yes you know obviously the the big threat although i'm gonna ding them a little bit um you know the the plot against mom everything driving this first episode was kind of hopeful, Matt, given that we went out on the best of both worlds. Dun, 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 that we'd have her previously on that would return in such a way with that trajectory. But that's the choice that they decided against. I, too, was surprised that we wrapped up the threat against mom so quickly um, I think that is part of the joke or part of the sense of humor. So I'm not necessarily offended. Um, it actually was, it was a slight sense of deja vu in that in the last week I was like, you know, really feeling the Star Trek itch. I was like, oh, let me, I'm going to rewatch Deep Space Nine. I'm going to start from, from, uh, season four, the way of the warrior, two-parter, Worf joins, Klingon intrigue, all this stuff. And I get done. With I can tell you where I was when I watched that. That's how strong those memories are. So I, I get done with that. And it's like, you know, Worf is now in the red and there's been this change. I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to watch the next one. And like, I click on, you know, the, the, the menu thing on Paramount plus I'm like, 
wait, the next episode is like a standalone thing about like the prophets or something. Like it, 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 it and I'm like, oh, well, cl- clearly the next episode is going to be serial. And it was like, oh, wait, no, right. This is 90s Star Trek. Yes, Deep Space Nine got more serial as time went on, but it's like they don't immediately pick that up from the next episode. So I think in that, I, I think that this episode of Lower Decks is somewhat in that spirit. Like, of course we knew it was going to be resolved in a positive way. Um, yes, we, you and I have been discussing probably since the season two wrap, you know, how many episodes will it take for her to get back? How long will they draw out this arc? I have to admit, I was not, <laughs> I was not betting that in, you know, 18 minutes of a 23 minute episode or whatever. I mean, it's a bit more than that in 20 minutes of a 24 minute episode, uh, all would be well and explained via flashback montage. Um, but again, that's from the aesthetic that this show is born out of the 90s Star Trek stuff. And it's also, I think just meant to be like, haha, you thought this was a big thing. Guess what? In Star Trek, sometimes problems get solved uh, pretty easily. Yeah, largely off screen. I'll I'll say this. They've teased for so long that both the Klingon crew and the Vulcan crew from the end of season two would be involved in season three. You had to anticipate it was going to be part of some larger serial storyline to free Captain Mom. Okay, so you've done that. We know that the Klingon crew, the Vulcan crew, particularly that uh, rebel Vulcan officer, are returning. So, you know, you, you can solve the story for Captain Mom and still move forward and, you know, reintroduce, reincorporate those other crews. Yeah, if anything, I, I appreciate after the fact, as surprised as I was in the moment, I appreciate after the fact that um, my expectations have been subverted and now I don't know what comes next week because next week is not going to be try and get mom back or try and, but there, now there's a caretaker captain and mom. It's just, nope, boom, we're done. And it's like, oh, well, we've already gotten to the end of what I thought was going to be two to four episodes of story. So what's next? The great unknown. Speaking of unknown, Matt, the 17,000 Scoville Ketracel white hot sauce love the little reference there uh particularly as somebody who does not like uh spicy food uh, i it's all equally a mystery to me pete can you just give me a set, sense of reference there the seventeen thousand, um like like where is that in reference to other hot sauces or like a red you know or a, a cayenne pepper or something like that on that scoville scale i was looking it up a little earlier today the the, the top of the uh, the guide, if you will, seems to be up around um, <clears throat> would place it somewhere between mild, hot and hot. Uh, then you start to get into degrees of spicy, hot, really hot, fiery, hot, etc. They get up around the um, the millions on that uh, Scoville scale. So here's my nuanced in-universe take from that. The hot sauce being served at uh, Cisco's restaurant there. The hot sauce not meant to blow your taste buds away. You're meant to focus on the quality of the food. Maybe you want to add a little bit more heat. That's okay. And it makes it believable that 
one, it would, you know, annihilate Boimler's, you know, uh, milk toast palate. And at the same time, um, uh, Mariner could uh, believably enjoy it. Absolutely. Uh, we also have the uh, Verugament migration uh, breeding activities, which I have to say, Pete, they did such a great job in the FNN segment at the top to be like, and in other news, and it was like, well, of course you need and other news to believably make sure that uh, expositional news is not just exposition, but instead the fact that they were setting up uh, some foreshadowing there and some some use for later in the plot, I just thought was really uh, a really nuanced thing to do. We've talked about it before, the scientific advising that goes on for this show and then the use of that to drive plot uh and to incorporate that there yeah it does veer into the potty humor and the way that it's done but you know potty humor via science is always a win right well, well pete the, the basic functions of life right are to to consume <laughs> energy and to reproduce so there you go um yes perhaps a bit naughty with uh a, a bit naughty but but, but cheekily so um, Pete, somebody who's not used to such naughtiness, uh, in, in that section of his life, or, or dare say in many sections would be Gavin, nay, Captain Gavin, who, uh, goes through a transformation in this episode. Yeah. The pilot there, uh, I was kind of hopeful we'd just see him warp off and it could be like so many other lower decks references that at another point in the season, you could revisit it, you know, has, has he been. Uh, co-opted by uh, whoever made V'ger down the road or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but to return to him at the end there to recover the, um, the, the Phoenix replica craft. Okay. You know, you, you uh, confine the, the threat he represents to just the one episode, unless of course they choose to reintroduce him. Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for theories. Pete, how do you, as a proud Earther, feel that the Bozeman launch site has now been turned into a into a uh, an amusement park, including the the Vulcan ship, the Slide? Yeah, the uh, illogical choice to to turn that into that. I mean, we'd always been teased about the historical site, particularly the statue and to see the statue in a physical form instead of just Jordy describing it, you know, was certainly something that had to be done. Uh, some of these other choices though, I mean, beyond of course, using the, the movie theme as the theme park background. And then, you know, that we have replica rides that have a 25 minute, wait so we're, we're, we're still queuing up uh wait times uh centuries from now the uh thirst contact uh display uh for some kind of watering hole on top of the one song jukebox um other watering hole there certainly seems like uh it's it's a place to get your drank on 
uh, in Bozeman, Montana. I mean, Matt, let's be honest, there's not a lot to do up there. Um, and then the inclusion of the Zephyrin Cochrane hats worn both by Rutherford and Tendi, uh, it was it was pitch perfect. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm obviously I'm giving a faux finger wave to the notion that one of the most I think objectively one of the most important spots on the planet for humanity in the Star Trek universe that we you know be turned into a theme park i that's the joke right the joke is that that's what's occurred um all those details there well not only is it just the joke let me pause there for a second they also need a way to get to space right so that's you kind of work backwards Mm -hmm. from how do you get to space and what's an interesting way other than we need a shuttle to go to the moon you know whatever it is that this is the best of all options um but the joke is just in all the different uh details there and you know, big thumbs up for James Cromwell to come back again. Uh-huh. I know it's, it's fairly easy to hop on Skype and like read the lines and thanks, James. Sure thing, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, put the money in the account, that kind of thing. But I mean, what a, what, what a guy who's been in Next Generation as an alien, obviously in First Contact as Cochran. He was in a Deep Space Nine episode. I mean, he's in this. I mean, what a. He's in Enterprise as Cochran again. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, he he's just, he's up for Star Trek. He is, and the guy remains game. Let's not forget, you know, he's on a on an Emmy favorite right now in succession. Um, but, you know, we've brought it up in the interim uh, of podcasting uh, all the Star Trek, uh, particularly our, our last experience with Lower Decks, um, how they have a monthly roundtable of all the Star Trek showrunners. And really, this had to be born out of that. You know, hey, is anybody going to use Bozeman, Montana in any of their shows? Okay, we're not stepping on any toes to, you know, go and, and flesh it out here. And it really makes the most sense to, to lampoon the site in the animation. Yeah, and it's also nice to get the update uh, for uh, Captain Morgan Bateson, the uh, the Kelsey Grammer character. It actually, his presence here had me go back and rewatch Cause and Effect, which just is a, a stellar construction of an yeah. episode. Literally, the only complaint I have of it is, I guess it's because of the stature of Kelsey Grammer, uh, you get in the you know post-main title credits, you, in, in the guest star credits, you get Kelsey Grammer think it would have been better if he just showed up as a surprise mm-hmm. um but that's probably a contract thing and whatever but i mean just what a joy to get a little update there there he is leading nowadays in the in in lower decks leading elite forces uh tuvok getting his hands in the situation as well but you know a great a great excuse to go back and watch cause and effect invasive uh questioning there by Tuvok a, a callback to Spock in uh you know the undiscovered country. But yeah, you know, to give Batesman or or excuse me, Bateson that uh cameo in the uh you know first in the the black, you know, spy outfits and and then later, you know, the triumphant, hey, we've we've just freed the captain and uh, exonerated the crew. Matt, did you catch the reference? It's super 
nerd deep cut. But again, this is a show written by, you know, serious nerds. Uh, Dr. Ta'ana's outfit. No, no. I, I, I recognized uh, Rutherford's as actually, I think from the way the warrior parts one and two, uh, but I recognize that his, as, a, as his, a Cisco outfit. His outfit definitely is a uh, Jayco uh, sweater shirt abomination. <laughs> yeah, but um, tell me more about the good doctor. So initially I'm like, oh, they aped, you know, uh, Bones McCoy's 70s civilian clothing style and, and just gave it to another doctor. It's even more deep cut than that. You can go and, and look side by side. The character of Switch from The Matrix, they're wearing the identical outfit. That is To the fantastic. boots. Down to the damn boots and the orange shades. I was like, holy moly. Uh, yeah, when would you expect Star Trek to reach for the Matrix? That is absolutely phenomenal. That's... I mean, look, if nothing else, right, that's a reminder of the power of animation, because mm -hmm. if you say we're going to put these characters in civilian clothes, everything is equally, you know, I know they're not literally doing pencil and paper, but everything is equally pencil and paper, whether you draw up a brand new dress for Dr. Ta'ana or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, any of the choices there, they're all equally drawable. So you can pull from anywhere as opposed to like, well, we want to make this thing. And it's going to be expensive versus, you know, go into wardrobe and dye a thing a different color and, you know, put some some shiny rocks on it or whatever it might be. That That's fantastic. That's a fantastic reference. The advent of Strange New Worlds and the Star Trek universe card that they include now at the beginning of these shows, we've only seen it for two, but that it's now established that when it's an animated show and another ship, they're going to change it up. And then I had to point it out to you that they include the space koala in the lower decks version of that card. Yeah. I, I appreciate, well, first of all, I think to have a different lead ship in the star Trek universe uh, animation. I think that's just a great idea. And it just as Pete literally yesterday, we were talking about, you know, was Moon Knight in then removed from the latest Marvel Studios thing? Like it's something to look at and interact with. Mm -hmm. Not that they're sitting down and saying, oh, we, we want to provoke discussion, but it's just something where you, it's a little extra present inside the present inside the present. Same thing here. You can start to say, I, I saw somebody on Twitter say, I hope that when they do that for discovery, I hope it doesn't warp away. I hope it spore drives away. Like yeah. Just those, those little things there. Same thing with the, the, the main credits as well, where we're adding things and we're adding things. Frankly, it makes it more watchable in an era where that little button comes up and says, skip mm -hmm. ahead. And if for some reason it doesn't like when I was doing deep space nine, they don't have the button there. Okay, fine. Uh, you know, Hey, Amazon device move ahead. Turns out these credits are two minutes long. If you can imagine Go ahead two minutes. So then it's da, 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 da. great. The episode starts. It's all the more reason to watch the credits for, for lower decks. It is. And you consider the changes they've made. They um, take the angle each season and make it, you know, different from which we're watching, you know, the Cerritos, you know, like when it 
Um, there, there's more rocks getting sucked into the singularity. There's a different angle when it gets it's the angle is further below when it hits the space iceberg. But now that the scene against the uh, the Borg cube includes a crystalline entity, I mean, we were joking off mic. What what does a season seven? How overcrowded, dense, and deep is that little uh, you know point in the credits? Yeah, let that be let that be a thing that that evolves to ridiculousness, uh, particularly since this is the funny Star Trek show. This is the place where you can do that. You know, this is the place that had Mariner crying over the loss of mom and then miraculously hand waved the return of not quite hand waved, but from a from a script sense, hand waved and mom is back. Um, let those silly things uh, enter, certainly. Good to know that the London Kings are still uh, playing well, uh, though the Buffalo Soldier Knights uh, eclipsed them in uh, game one of the playoffs. Uh, you know what? Though baseball was a, a, a dead sport when Ben Sisko first sat down as a commander in Deep Space Nine and placed that bases ball upon his desk, uh, it seems it's making a comeback, and that's fantastic. Uh, we get these Zach Dorn, those uh, base pouch people from the next generation here who love to play their stratagemma, uh, a, a reference with a six-year-old grandmaster. Yeah, I mean, again, every moment of this show, when it's not doing kind of quality character moments or fun action moments, it's just stuff to the gills of star trek reality which again might seem weird since it's obviously the least real of the shows since it's animated but i i suspect again because they have to construct everything thought goes into everything in a way where in a in a real uh world production if you're running late you just sit and go uh great these six masks uh paint them different colors uh put them in i don't know different frocks and boom now they're aliens in the background and, and you know it's with less intention and and less thought than you need to do on the animated end sonny clemens concert uh you know the next generation tack on episode i think it was up there around 26 or 27 in that first season uh when they unfroze this uh country western star but apparently teens in uh, the future of the next generation are not only going, but uh, clamoring over Clemens. Let's reflect on the episode that he appeared in. Okay. The season one finale, <laughs> Star Trek, Star Trek is back. Okay. And, and, and so forth. And they've made their way through uh, the, the, the difficulties of the first season and all of that. And what do they do as a season one ender? Okay, your A plot, because the name of the episode is The Neutral Zone. Your A plot is, uh, we're giving up on Gene's idea to not have old baddies. The Romulans have returned. New ship, new decloaking, new old threat, new makeup, the whole nine yards. That's your A plot. What's your B plot? Three people from the time when you folks are watching get unfrozen and one guy's like where's all my money and they're like ha 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 there is no money he's like no no no, but my bank and they're like there is no bank you rube 
And the lady's like, whoa, my family's dead. All my family's dead. I'm really sad. You go, wow, I have family. I'd be sad too. Then there's a third guy who's like, Data, make me a martini and let's have a guitar time. That's how season one ended. The fact that guitar guy is still out there. Uh, what is this about? 18 years later in Star Trek time. There he is, a, a guitar master beloved by the youth. It's just beautiful. The Golden Gate Bridge regarded by uh, Mariner as useless um, referenced here. I mean, we see it all the time in the live action shows. And at least to have somebody be like, but no, nobody drives anymore. And it's filled with solar panels. Why? You know what? Look, I understand that that moment was presented through the lens of Mariner's anger. And, you know, dad even says, you know what it is. It's the Golden Gate Bridge. Pete, I just want to remind you, okay, this is a federation where some people choose to live on a planet where you wear napkins and oil each other down a whole lot, <laughs> particularly in the background, causing uh, a seven-year-old Matt to really be confused about some things, but maybe interested too. Um, I think there's a place for the Golden Gate Bridge. You know what? You can go for a walk from San Francisco to Oakland and so forth, be fit and so forth. Yeah, you might not get there in a hurry, uh, and you have transporters and all that to do it. But uh, yeah, I, I'm glad they've kept the Golden Gate Bridge, not just for uh, you know the ability to easily identify a setting anytime they want to use it, uh, and also as a, as a platform for uh, those solar panels, but just for the aesthetic beauty of taking a walk over the, uh, over the bay there. In the off-season of Lower Decks, Matt, there's been a tempest in a teapot given that uh, Worf in uh, the promotional material for Season 3 of Star Trek Picard, uh, we're told, is not a captain uh, by the showrunner and has Captain Pips on his uniform. Here, Admiral Les Buenamigo uh only has three pips i had not noticed that for admiral buenamigo but i did notice for me notice for the first time maybe it's been there all along admiral dad's rank insignia was four pips inside a gold rectangle i feel like traditionally from the next generation and into deep space nine era uh the admiral ranks have been on either side of the neck uh, so, Pete, if nothing else, look, the fact that we get to be digging down into how Star Trek does rank insignia, you know, is it costuming? Is it military planning? Whatever it is, um, I'd say bring it on. Uh, let me ask you this, Pete. Did Admiral Buenamigo have uh, the gold rectangle around those pips? He did. All right. So I think I think we can definitively say that when you see the rectangle, that's the establisher for some kind of admiral will see and maybe for whatever reason they've stopped going across the neck and just keep it on the one side well at least he's not a planet's rights lunatic right yeah like that judge i i don't <laughs> fully understand what that means i mean look obviously there's this destruction of packwood planet but i mean shouldn't in the future shouldn't we all be planet's rights activists and plants rights concerned um well, i think it's a play on like men's rights <laughs> activists and you know just totally over the top presentation in terms of like 
what kind of rights should really be watched out for as opposed to other rights being less important. And if nothing else, it serves the story purpose of, oh no, she's the worst judge you can imagine for. Who had Brad Boimler, excuse me, being the heir apparently to the sun-made raisin uh, largesse? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, the whole... The whole visit to the vineyard there was delightful. Um, it was, of the course... The first maid is the sun-made raisin girl. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which I saw online. That whole scene is just delightful. Um, I know reference was made to him um, being from a vineyard. I was made last season. Um, it's perfectly lower decks to be like, but it's not the kind of vineyard that makes wine that can be enjoyed for hundreds of years it's like the vineyard that makes you know as he says it's the sun dries them out and makes them dry and you know blah 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 the whole thing and then to just add the fact that genevieve and mandolina and leanne all are just crazy crazy hot for boimler who can't just doesn't have the time of day to uh taste the sweetness of the bushel or to go to the <laughs> shed for a bit or to hose leanne down while she's naked like just the fact that this is all this is all a a uh distraction to him pete among other things okay he's probably be a you know a, a well-mannered boss but beyond that it's just a really really funny moment and that his logs are stowed on the dry deck starship uh that's in impound um you know next to his bunk okay it's you know, a story function to get them on there, but no cloud. <laughs> um, not to mention D Space Nine Way of the Warrior again, but there was a there was a moment in that episode where they're, uh, or maybe it was a later one from season four. I don't know, but anyhow, they're they're like, oh, we got to transfer the files. So like Cisco puts the pad onto the the computer terminal, and it's like, and it transfers there. I'm just watching it going. Oh my goodness, just like, you know, make a copy of your Google Drive. So, yeah, I hear you, Pete. I think that the, I think that probably in the discussion of this episode and, you know, how do you manage data in the future? Um, I think probably they rediscovered, oh, right, they're from a pre-cloud perspective and we kind of A, we need to honor that and B, it actually happens to really help the story. And then, you know, that Boimler's logs ultimately reveal his natural hair color uh, is not purple. Uh, fitting that, again, you know, the family comes from uh, raisin uh, vineyards. But uh, that there's a real hair color. We don't know what it is. And I wonder if it takes on larger significance knowing that we're going to see both Boimler and uh, Mariner on Strange New Worlds in live action. Yeah, it's so fun to be wondering, particularly now that we understand after two seasons, we understand how Lower Decks works where silly little things can come back and be big things and you kind of really don't have a sense of like, Oh man, now I have two gemstones. When I have six, I will destroy the universe. Like it doesn't operate by those rules. Anything can come from anywhere. Um, but now that we are dealing with the specter of this really, really tempting crossover, uh, and, and Pete, the hope that maybe we get some instance of it, uh, in animation this season, um, 
I don't know. But um, yeah, but yeah, just knowing that something like that where you know i don't think they're going to ask jack quaid can we dye your hair purple when you're in toronto and counting down to season four of the boys or on a break from you know whatever that looks like for his with all due respect to lower decks for his bigger job uh on the boys yeah it's real handy to be like this isn't his real hair color so if we need to do live action boimler um oh no the time transport the this the that is what has caused uh his hair to revert to its natural color of jack quaid dark chestnut brown as long as his gas doesn't migrate onto the enterprise uh, again just a, of all the different goofy things we're gonna have a through line where he just gets terrible terrible gas uh the uh buffer buff denny here and the transporter facility i think makes use of uh a couple tropes again in the most delightfully comedic sense the only complaint i have about that and i even wonder if you see an echo of of what i'm going to propose in the character design do you think that maybe this was o'brien in the first draft um, and that you know, he's been a buffer buff, especially since you, know, you, you want to kill off Keiko off screen. I think that's a little rough. You want to say, especially since I don't really see Keiko and Molly much more, you know, like th- that could have been really fun, but that's not what we got. What we got was a delightful, every grandpa down to the butterscotch, you know, I, again, I hate, I hate to keep using the same phrase, but it's so lower decks to give us a minor, a fairly minor character who we really feel for, who really feels like we know him in our individual lives, who's got just enough sadness in his existence where it's more than just, you know, a throwaway whatever. It's more than just the uh, the alien lady from season one that's like, come here, dirty boy. You know, like there's there's a real there's a real roundedness to Chief Denny, even though we see him for one scene. I think if they were going to give us... Um... O'Brien, they really hammered home. I, I think that's too small of a thing. Yes, in that first season, they had a, a gold statue and a flash forward. Um, if and when they do it, I, I think it'd be far more of a feature situation. I think that certainly would be would be very fitting. Uh, and again, maybe that, if I'm right, who knows if I'm right, but if I'm right, that might have been something that they themselves figured out in the drafting process before it even was like, Hey, do we reach out to Cole Meany? How much money? You know, like it just might've been like, this is not the right place, but, but uh, chief Denny, you'll always have a special place in our hearts. And then commander ransom as mama now. All right. If you're going to alleviate the tension of resolving the situation with uh, captain Freeman, now to have uh, Mariner put on notice and the tension that's existed between her and Ransom previously now amped up. I suspect that in the creation of season two, um, I'll say I'll say writing. Now, let's not forget with animation, writing is essentially always ongoing because you can always sit and grab somebody and say, quick, say these words. And it's not that difficult to you know, do a animation level lip sync of five seconds of dialogue that might fix a story problem. But I think that they figured out in the second season that 
uh, there wasn't as much a clear place for Ransom. Now, don't get me wrong. He had some great episodes. The Ransom is a god uh, stuff from early in season two um, when he's interacting with the uh, with the um, the the computer that has overthrown the civilization that ends up being a, a, a Mariner and Boimler plot more so. He got good stuff, Ransom did. But I think that they discovered we're kind of not getting that great, you know, down the middle, Jim Kirk, Will Riker, kind of manly man, but still cool with everyone. There, there was something off there in the recipe. And I think the fact that he now gets to be the top uh, officer in Mariner's existence and, and in opposition to her and, and, and all of that, I think it's a really great way to just fine tune the overall chemistry for the entire crew and use him in a really great way. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We go to our Twitter poll where, Pete, we brought in the 4321 here. I think uh, somehow Star Trek Lower Decks is uh, pretty uh, pretty free from from ill-voting folks uh, for, for the one spot, one alien head, alien sploof everywhere. Pete, whatever that is, I couldn't quite figure it out from the episode. 2.4%. Uh, <laughs> Two hot faces, dry raisiny taste got seven point three percent. Three drinks, crash and burn bar high got twenty two percent, and then four flames, Ketracel white hot got sixty eight point three percent. Some responses here on Twitter from Spiderham Lincoln, Tess LC one three nine, Bozeman and Bateson and Tuvok oh my. Quick hits, the FNN crawl, Boimler's raisin vineyard, Cisco's restaurant, Ketracel white hot. Chief Denny the Buffer Buff, the first contact music, James Cromwell's Zephram Cockrum cameo, two-dimensional 3D chess, which now that Spider-Man mm-hmm. Lincoln puts it like that, that's all the more delightful. Um, Verrugaman Orgy, Samaritan Snare, the sequel, I'm Your Mama Now. It's good to have this show back for a new season. I was an LD skeptic before, this, uh, before season one aired, but now I think it's wonderful. Next, we hear from James Sagacious, Big Killin on Twitter. Pleasantly surprised that the captain's name was cleared in the first episode. How did they not give us a Cisco? My current headcanon is that the Strange New Worlds crossover will have something to do with why it seemed so easy to clear her name. Like the captain and admiral know Mariner, uh, know something Mariner and the others don't from time traveling. I think that's the topic of why not give us a Cisco. You know, Avery Brooks has distanced himself from star trek in recent years um and continues to say how proud he is of the work that was done but he's i i think he's probably the toughest one out of maybe i'm gonna say pete maybe any living cast member he might be the toughest one to kind of lure back especially if it's like hey say a thing into a microphone where you go jaco let's go watch baseball like he's gonna want he's gonna want star trek cisco and I don't know that that's necessarily and the in- dignity and the power of it. And I'm not saying that as, you know, any kind of mockery. I mean, what he did, you know, you, you look at Sir Patrick and, and all of that, but you know how you could not regard Avery Brooks as every bit of the thespian as a, a, a knighted Brit you know, if, if we knighted people in this country, um, you know, I, I guess what the presidential medal of freedom, maybe the, the closest, uh, you know, analog, uh, Avery Brooks, man. Absolutely. 
Next tweet here from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter. She's got some clap emojis in here, so I'll try and I'll try and translate in the audio milieu. I love lower decks. <laughs> Episode one is a promising start to another season. Seasons one and two are great, but I still, but I have a feeling that the Cerritos crew has hit their stride. Uh, I have to admit that I'm still trying to place Rutherford's vaguely familiar sweater. Uh, Pete, I'm pretty sure it's from Way of the Warrior. It's definitively, I've, I've seen the side-by-sides with Jaco. Do you know how bizarre it was to watch that on, because when was this episode? Thursday? To watch that maybe on Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday night, and then immediately turn this on and i know it was in the the, pre, the 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 preview and whatnot but to like to watch it to watch it on jake cisco and then within 48 hours to watch it here and be like wait 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 so it's bizarre sometimes hashtag it's all connected i mean and to fight through the vertigo that it induced <laughs> next we hear from funnest frontier that's at dex lower uh, hashtag spoilers i loved this episode i'm glad they cleared up the captain carol freeman trial in the first episode i want to know where they're going to go with ransom being put in charge of mariner also what color do we think is boimler's natural hair color i'm going to say it's blonde so pete i've said like a dark brown funnest frontier has said blonde what say you it's gotta be whatever like you mentioned um you know the actor's hair color is so they'll they'll do that. He's worn the purple goofy wig at, you know, panel appearances. It it won't be that. <laughs> Maybe that was like the we have to prove to the network that the purple won't work. All right, well, we're the thing at the convention and, you know, laugh it up and whatnot. And to front load it here that he colors his hair and all it takes again, as we talk so often, is a line of dialogue. Oh, the hair dye was taken out in the, you know, whatever century transport buffers. We hear now from Twitter at law. That's at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. Wow, I didn't know I needed so many callbacks to first contact, but I did. I'd hoped the captain's situation would last at least one more episode, but I also wasn't surprised when it was, when it was resolved so quickly. I also thought we might not see Gavin again in this episode, uh, but that they would randomly find him light years away three episodes from now. Uh, and Boimler at the Raisin Farm when women were hitting on him was hilarious. So glad the show is back. Oh, and Tuvok, how could I forget? Uh, and Jackie Wolf replied, me, when Tuvok appeared on screen. And it's the old Leo DiCaprio pointing at the TV uh, in, in, in happy recognition. Pete, this and every outing for Lower Decks is, of course, made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. And we thank them for being a part of the crew. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to contribute at. Uh, but it takes just a dollar a month to get through that door. Can't contribute this month? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating in seconds, and we could really use it for the Lower Decks podcast. We only have like five or six ratings um as well as our andor star wars uh podcast and also she hulk all that support always appreciated and pete let's keep the star trek discussion going when are the the three ships characters going to return what will the season-long threat be what legacy characters will appear how can people share their predictions with you on twitter Find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,631 followers. Can't be wrong. 
And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H, like it today. As we wrap up the last podcast of August, looking ahead to a busy September, we, of course, will be back on the Pop Culture Podcast on She-Hulk Saturday for She-Hulk episode 103. And uh, continuing with Star Trek Sundays uh, one week from today, whether you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed uh, or on the Lower Decks feed. Pete, looking forward to later in the month when we uh, do a final preview for and start watching uh, Andor and uh, really enter that busy time there for uh, three shows a week. For now, though, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Say gumbo. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?